Spirit, we trust you tonight. We ask that you help us. Do that which only you can do. Do that which only you can do. Let your word bring healing, bring deliverance. And let your name alone be glorified. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we have worshipped. You may be seated. Praise God. Revelations chapter 1. Oh, we thank you, Lord. Before we go into scriptures tonight, we, I must remind us quickly that our project is still on. And we are trusting Jesus to help us and show us mercy. As of today, we are short of about 24 million. And uh, if God has impressed on your heart that you should be part of the labors for the land project, please do well to make the necessary sacrifices. And we'll trust Jesus to help us even as the rains subside in the name of Jesus. Very soon we'll be showing you a 3D image of our proposed building and we trust that by the time we get to that point there will be enough money at least for us to start the foundation while we trust God to move to the other phases of the project. I've told you several times that in the uh, life of a church there will be various seasons and in certain periods of the seasons of the church it will look like there is so much burden to give, to give, to make sacrifices, to make sacrifices um, it's just for a season after a while we will come to a place of rest and at that time things will be a lot easier so please join us if you are praying please pray um, those of you that have been coming around for a while, you know we are spending a lot of money to be able to sustain this venue. Uh, if we are putting that money in our own uh, property, it will be yielding a lot of work. So we are trusting God that by December next year, we should have moved into our property by the grace of God. Uh, but now we need to do the foundation and our estimate is about 40 million. So please help us to close that gap. Um, I salute those of you that have been making sacrifices. We see the, the seeds that you are sending in and we trust that the Lord himself will reward you in the name of Jesus. Secondly, something else I want to say. We have people following us from across Delta State and those of you that attend the tent here, please be aware that we have prayer hubs and prayer cells cut across Delta State. We have a prayer hub in Sapele 
for those of you who follow us online from Saple, we have a place in Saple where we meet on Saturdays. So if you are in Saple, you are in Jesse, you are around Saple, please feel free to locate us and join the prayer labors over your territory. We are in Saple and we meet on Saturdays. We are in um, Delta State Polytechnic Ogara, Otefe. We are in Otefe. And if um, the uh, things we are looking at go according to plan, we are about to buy a property in Otefe to have a permanent structure because Otefe is part of the critical locations for the revival that we are trusting God to bring in Delta State. So if you, are, you attend Delta State Polytechnic, ND or HND, please feel free to find us. The lady that led worship is our arrowhead in Otefe. That's Sister Stella. So just in case you are a sister and you've been wondering what God wants to do with your life, he can use you to lead men. Yes, he can lead you to do great things. Stella is doing a great job in Otefe. And we are trusting God that that cell will grow in leaps and bounds. So if you are a student in Otefe, please join the labels in Otefe. We have a prayer cell in Abraka, Delta State University, Abraka. And God is helping us greatly. As of today, we already have a property in Delta State University, Abraka. We have a 200 by 100 land. Yes, you can clap. You can celebrate Jesus. So very soon we'll be building a permanent structure there. The plan is that very soon these places will no longer be prayer hubs. They'll be prayer, they'll be apostolic centers themselves. Um, our job as RCN worries just to set it up. Great work is happening in Abraka. So if you are a student of Delta State University, Abraka campus, find them and join them. In the city of Wari, we have one prayer cell in Jedo. Jedo. So if you live in Jedo, please locate the prayer cell and join yourself to that company. The whole idea is we are building clusters where people can pray, where they can intercede and affect the regions where they are domiciled so that the things that God has shown us will come to pass. Very soon our Wari City Crusade will be holding in the stadiums. Yes. Very soon. And if God is going to do that, then a lot of us must take up responsibilities in the various regions where we are to establish the light, the wisdom, the power and the glory of God. So if you need to find a prayer cell, uh, just reach out to Pastor Mina immediately after service and further details will be provided to you. Um, very soon we will light up Ugeli again. We had a prayer cell in Ugeli but for some reasons certain things happened but it will soon be back on stream. The functionary there will soon be back from school and we might um, get back on stream sooner than later. And we trust Jesus to help us. Are you ready tonight? Revelations chapter 1. Revelation, sorry. 
chapter 1 and verse 9. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So John is introducing himself here and he's trying to give credence to his credentials or to uh, bring validation to his person as to the reason why he's in the particular location where this revelation, this divine unveiling of Jesus Christ was given to him. So he says, I am both your brother and I'm a companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. But I was on the island of Patmos. The reason I was on the island of Patmos is because I was preaching the word of God and I was bearing the testimony of Jesus Christ. So John the Apostle was sentenced as a prisoner, a political prisoner, to the Isle of Patmos, not because he had done anything wrong per se, but because he was preaching the word of God and his life became a mobile witness, a testimony of the one Jesus Christ. If you've been around since we've been teaching in the past few weeks, I've tried to bring perspective to you that apart from the fact that the great tribulation is coming at the end of the age, a Christian must live in this realm with an understanding that God has the legal right to demand witness from you up to the level of your own life. That means God can demand your death if your death will bring him glory. If from your death he will reap a great and a mighty harvest, then your death will be sanctioned from heaven. And if you've been here since we started teaching, I told you that if you read church history, you will find that the great apostles that we read of, the great church fathers that we read of, men that did great exploits for God, in the first 200 to 400 years of the church, many of them, their witness was not in words, it was in death. The things that we enjoy for free now, for instance, the Bible, that is in English language, it cost a man his life to give you that gift. William Tyndale, an English Christian, who wrote, or who I read his biography, that his only ambition, he said his only reason for living was to see that his kinsmen read of the goodness of God in their own language. So he went out of his way to translate the Bible from Latin to English so that every common man would be able to read of the goodness of God in English language. That gift that we enjoy now in the 21st century, they burnt him at the stake. He was roasted by fire. He was destroyed. So if you read church history, you will find out that 
those who lived in those days, they realized that your testimony of Jesus Christ goes beyond profession. Because all you need to do is be around church for a while, you will find out that it is possible for your profession to be divorced from your practice. That there are people who can speak certain things, claim certain things in their words, but when you monitor them on a daily basis, when no man is around them, you will find out that the things that come out from their mouth do not match the way they live on a daily basis. So the church fathers moved beyond profession. Their testimony of Jesus Christ was in death. That was when the word witnesses metamorphosed from being people who bear testimony with words to people who bear testimony with life. That in their death, they could bear the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, dear brethren, brothers and sisters tonight, one of the questions I want to ask you as we proceed tonight, can you die for what you believe in? As we are seated in church tonight, can you die for what you believe in? I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will use the letters of Jesus tonight to communicate his burden to us. But I'm just trying to lay groundwork. Can you die for what you believe in? As we are seated in church tonight, if God were to lay a demand for your life, will your life be too precious in your sight to give to him? You see, dear brothers, a, a man came to meet Jesus as Jesus was walking around. And he said, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Luke chapter 12. Tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, who made me judge over you? He said, beware of covetousness. Because a man's life does not consist of the abundance of things that he possesses. So it's good for you as a Christian. If Jesus said so, if Jesus said so, then every Christian should sit down and ask themselves, if Jesus is saying that your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions, then what then is the quality or the value or the worth of a man's life? That's a good question to ask. What is the worth of a man's life? If Jesus says we cannot measure a man by possessions, that means the worth of a man is not in his car. The worth of a man is not in his bank balance. The worth of a man is not in how many countries he has traveled to to do vacation. The worth of a man is not in the abundance of businesses where he is the chief executive. This is Jesus. Not me. Jesus. If Jesus says that is not how you measure a man, then every one of us, it behoves on us that we sit down with Jesus alone and ask him, what then? Is the worth of a man's life. And you see, if you just do careful Bible study, you will be able to answer that question in the context in which Jesus was establishing this truth. You read the Bible carefully, you will find out that there are critical things that are important to heaven for mortals on the earth. One of them is posterity, the other one is eternity. And when we speak about posterity and eternity, as I was teaching somewhere yesterday, these are words that can be used interchangeably, but they don't really mean the same thing. When you are talking about posterity, you are speaking about generations. 
generations. Generations that will come after you when you have left the earth. That's posterity. You are talking about generations that will, that will be birthed in the future after you are gone. The worth of a man, if you read through scriptures, you will find that the worth of a man is in the testimony of the generation that comes behind him. I was sitting there during the prayers and the Lord just reminded me about uh, Evans Roberts. Do you know that the revival that is traced to Evans Roberts, that is called the Welsh Revival, even animals were affected by the revival? Animals. The thing that God did in one man, generations, even creatures, were affected by what happened in one man. And because the Christian does not understand this basic truth that Jesus was trying to establish, we are no longer living for posterity. When generations after you come, what exactly will they remember as your contribution to the kingdom? What exactly will be the weight of your existence in the eyes of the generation that is coming behind us? You cannot even discuss the history of Christianity in Nigeria and not mention Babalola. He's long gone. He's dead. But there's no way you can discuss Christianity in Nigeria that you not talk about the exploits of one man. You know why? Those men understood this truth. A man is not weighty in the spirit because his bank is full. A man is weighty in the spirit because he lives for posterity. He's living for something that is beyond his generation, beyond his age. That when he dies, a generation will still bear witness that a man lived. And you see, what I'm trying to do tonight is, I'm trying to show us what was the burden in the heart of God for his church. Because these kind of things that I'm talking about now, the church in present day does not care about posterity. Does not care. You know the church in present day thinks that the thing that is troubling God, God is sitting in heaven troubled because he wants to make you happy. That the number one thing on the heart of God is your happiness. It's not in the Bible. The priority of God is not to make you happy. The priority of God is not to make you comfortable. The priority of God is not to give you a big fat bank account. That's not God's priority. Is comfort available in Christ? Yes. Is prosperity available in Christ? Yes. Is rest available in Christ? Yes. But that's not the priority of Jesus. God's priority is to make you like Christ. That's his priority. He wants you to be like Jesus. In character, in consecration, in behavior, he wants you to be like Jesus. But what has happened in present day is that somehow Satan has crept in and the lampstands that God has scattered all around the nations are empty of lamps. So the stands still exist but they are not giving light. And you see, when we are talking about a lampstand, the lampstand is just infrastructure. 
Did you read in Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5. Media, give me Matthew chapter 5. Give me verse 14. 14. Let me show you something. A lampstand. I say a lampstand is what? Infrastructure. So let's see it. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be what? 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under what? But on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. What happened to New King James? That word candlestick is the same word that is translated what? Lampstand. So what is the lampstand? It is infrastructure for the light bearer. What did I say is the lampstand? So nobody lights a lamp. Lamps are put on lampstands. Candles are put on candlesticks. Are you here? In, ancient, in the ancient world, in the olden days, even in present day, it's not like us that when you light candle, you just put it on your table. You, you, you burn the place like this. You, you put some wax and you gum it. Huh? They have what they call candlesticks. They can be made of bronze. They can be made of silver. They can even be made of gold, depending on the archaeology or the architecture of that city or that place. And that is what he's talking about here, that when you light a lamp, a lamp is useless on the ground. You restrict the level or the depth of influence of a lamp if it is on the ground. If it is going to give light to all that are in the room, where do you put it? Lampstand. The church, which is the lampstand, that is supposed to be infrastructure for light bearers. We are no longer bearing light bearers. We are raising people that do not have capacity to even sustain the light and the life of God. And you see, the basic thing is this. The church has forgotten. What is the essence of a man's life? You know, one of my sons sent me a question. And I believe maybe that question has been troubling people too. He said, the way you've been teaching these things for some days, I just feel like I should close my business and just be preparing for eternity. He was asking that, is there a need to marry? Why, why, should I even be thinking of marriage? Should I even be expecting promotion at work? Does one need to expand their business? Let's just focus on eternity. Now, as beautiful as that sounds, the reason we are teaching about posterity and eternity, remember I said eternity is about, posterity is about what? Generations. Eternity, on the other hand, means time without end. Unending time. Timeless time is eternity. Time without end. The reason we are saying that Man must focus on posterity and eternity and prepare for the great tribulation. It's not so that you will not do the things that are available for a man to do here. I walk. But the thing is, what is the motive for the things you are doing? It is the motive that becomes the matter. What is the driver? For instance, as a young person, if all the only reason why you want to marry is because of sex, you don't know what marriage is. 
You don't know what marriage is. If the only reason you are looking forward to marriage is that you feel that marriage is going to curb your sexual um, perversions and immoralities, then you don't know what marriage is. In fact, if you don't know how to deal with your sexual appetite before you marry, you will be a disaster in marriage. Marriage is not a cure for fornication. He said, the boy, they fornicate, they fornicate. He said, fine and wife. It's not a cure for fornication. It's not a cure. Now, somebody is saying, but Paul said, uh, it's better to marry than to born. Yes, it's better to marry than to born. But that does not take away the requirement for self-control. He didn't say it's better to marry than to fornicate. Than to burn. If you are burning with appetite, and that appetite is such that you don't have the gift of celibacy, of, of uh, is it celibacy now? Yes. Celibacy. Or abstinence. You don't have the gift of abstinence. Because not everybody has that gift. He says it's better to marry than to be born in. You know in a certain sect, or a certain religious organization, Certain people go into, go into certain covenants, right? Where they say, because I want to serve Jesus, I'm not, as a woman, I'm not going to sleep with any man. As a man, I'm not going to sleep with any man. Some things have happened within that religious organization that has showed us that it is better to marry than to born. The kind of child molestation, the kind of immoral things that we have heard, because... People entered with burning appetites. And instead of going to say, let me legally go into the system that allows me to give expression, they are pretending to have what they do not have. And the thing has caused great damage. Many people have been traumatized because men were burning and they had to give expression to strange fire. Marriage is not the cure for fornication. Say, uh, I don't know. I'm just masturbating. I'm just masturbating. Jesus, this masturbation wants to kill me, but I promise you, when I marry, uh, you will now find out that when your wife delivers, hmm, she just delivers today now, they will now put burglary. Burglary. You will not have access. We will now know whether you have self-control to wait for her to heal. Satan will come back and put you under pressure. And that masturbation you failed to, you failed to deal with before will become your God. You become your God. So if your only desire for marriage is sexual satisfaction, you don't know what marriage is. The matter is a matter of motives. Why are you so intent on making money? Why do you want to make money? Those are the matters. If you are living with posterity and eternity upon your heart, you will know that when you make money, primarily the money is for the kingdom. For the kingdom. One campus wanted to invite me for, for administration. And I looked at the flight ticket. Students. I said, no, I will not allow them to buy me flight ticket. They went ahead with the publicity. I said, if God provides money for me, will we go? Joshua can tell you how much we paid for that trip. And he can tell you how much came as honorarium. 
You can ask him later. My own money that went into the trip. Eh? My own money that went into the trip. And then how much came as honorarium? What is your motive for making money? If God makes you wealthy, will the kingdom benefit? That's the matter. When you get married, will your marriage add value to the kingdom? That's the matter. If you have a business today, who will be the greatest beneficiary of your prosperity? Will it be self or it will be God? That's the matter. It's the motives. I'm not saying just pack your bag and begin to walk on at any junction. I'm, I'm preparing for the coming of the Lord. Why you no one go to school? Rapture goes to happen. You now, you now wake up in the morning, tell your colleagues in your department, I'm not graduating from this department again. They say, why? Say, rapture goes to happen. Say, I listen to Reverend Kess. He say, Kai, tribulation, they come. What is the use? If person goes to school, we can't enter tribulation. What will be the use? Your certificate is not going to help you. So I don't want to go to school again. No, 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 no. The thing is, you live with an understanding that while you are on the face of the earth, there is something God wants to achieve with your life. Your life should bear testimony. It should give light to all who are in the house. That's the agenda of God. So everything God does with your life begins to accrue towards an eternal agenda, an eternal plan that was written even before you were conceived in your mother's womb. Even in your mother's womb. And when you understand this, death will be easy. It won't be difficult. Because you will not have attachment to the things that exist in this realm. So if somebody comes and says, your life or your profession of faith, you'll be willing to die. It won't matter to you. But if you are pursuing these things in the visible realm for the wrong motives, your heart will be taken. And once your heart is taken, it will be difficult for you to make the required sacrifices to make Jesus known in your generation. And my burden today is just that as beautiful as these things I'm teaching are, as difficult as they sound, these are the things that are the burdens on the heart of God. And these are the things that the church is supposed to be advancing. The church is supposed to be like a quarry site where people come in and then they are shaped, they are broken, they are prepared and they are sent out as warriors to go and fight the Lord's battles. And one of the things that happen in, in the quarry site of the church is that we should be able to answer that question. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of goods. Then what does a man's life consist of? How does a man live with posterity and eternity in view? How? Two scriptures are very beautiful for me when I want to deal with that. Thing. Jeremiah chapter 9, popular scripture. Jeremiah chapter 9. Give me verse 23. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23. First says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory what? In his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his what? Nor let the rich man glory in what? There are three critical things here. These three things are what the world in our day celebrates. Wisdom, strength, wealth. Wisdom, strength, 
and wealth. Knowledge, if you will. Strength and wealth. But God is speaking to the prophet Jeremiah now and saying, a, a, let, not the, let man, man that is wise, should not glory in his wisdom. Man that is mighty should not glory in his might. Man that is rich should not glory in his riches. Because these things are not what make a man valuable. They are not what make a man valuable. Before God, they might be what make a man valuable before men. But you see, one of the things Satan has done right now is that he has deceived humanity. That humanity no longer recognizes that there is going to be an end. You are not going to be here forever. You are not going to be here forever. If God is gracious to you, maybe you will live for 200 years. That 200 years can become punishment. You'll be tired. Your wife or your husband would have gone. All your children are in there. Your children, they, they, as much as they love you, they will not stay with you. The best is that they will bring you to stay with them. 200 years. But whatever amount of time you have in the earth, it will come to an end. Satan somehow has given us this impression that we are going to be here forever. So even the average Christian does not think in that direction. He's planning, he's doing everything. He does not ever plan in the context that I will not be here forever. Judgment has been removed from the thinking faculty of the average Christian. And I've taught you before. God is creator in eternity past. God is king and lord in eternity present. In eternity future, he will be judged. So you, you honor him as your creator. You live for him in this realm as your king. You prepare to meet him as your judge. You will prepare to meet him. He will be your judge. And because we do not have that at the back of our mind, the way the world measures men is the same way the church is struggling to be measured. We want to be measured by our wisdom, we want to be measured by our might, and we want to be measured by our riches. So certain teachings are popular in the body of Christ. We want to take the seven mountains. I know you like those kind of teachings. Don't do mm, as if you are with me. What are the seven mountains now? Politics, Politics entertainment, education, education religion, eh? family, eh? finance. Is finance one of the mountains? Economy. The seven mountains. We want to take the seven mountains. So we think that the assignment of the lampstand is to raise people that can take mountains. Let me ask you a sincere question. Don't be offended. In Nigeria today, is there any sector, whether politics, entertainment, any of those mountains you measured, that there are not at least 100 Christians? Huh? Is there any sector Why has the mountain not been taken? You think we need more men at the mountain 
No, we need more men that look like Jesus. That's the matter. That's the matter. It's not about raising more politicians the way the, the thing is. We need to raise more men like Jesus. The matters on the heart of God are sanctification. Do we need money in the body of Christ? Yes. But we need sanctified men that bear wealth. I walk now. You will see people who say that they are apostles in the marketplace. Apostle in the marketplace. When he comes to work and it is 8 o'clock and he's supposed to resume at 6, he will sign 6 o'clock. He came at 8. Huh? Some of you now have things in your house that the company did not dash you. It's in your house. You say now where man they walk in the chop. So you went there to take the mountain, but you are stealing diesel in the night. And you are justifying it that is my own portion from where I'm walking. You are stealing diesel in the night. But yet we think that you have gone there to take the mountain. The problem is you are not sanctified. So we are focusing on building entrepreneurs. So there are economic services, business service, entrepreneurship service. We are just thinking if we have more entrepreneurs, we will have more money. And then if we have more money, the church will now become powerful. Bro, study church history. The church has never won by wealth. The church has won by men that were willing to die for their professions. Sanctified men. Let him that glories, let the rich man not glory in his riches. 24. But let him who glories, glory in this. What is the word of a man? That he understands and knows me. Holy Matalia. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. Look at what the Lord says. For in these I what? I delight. If you have money and you don't know the Lord, you are beggarly. And it's not just that you know the Lord, you understand Him. Understanding is deeper than just knowledge. You understand Him. You see, brethren, this is the kind of Christian I want to be. I want to know God. And I'm not trying to, to excite you. I'm not trying to... These things I preach are not popular things. I can come here and teach some things and then we'll jump and shout and we'll move in power. But my heart bleeds. I want to know God. I want to be in a company of lamps that know God. When we know God, some of the things that are so difficult will become easy for the church in our day. I watched a documentary, The Men That Built America. Do you know that most of those men that built that society were men who were driven by the Christian faith. Go and watch the documentary. The Christian faith. That is why on the American dollar it was written there, in God we trust. 
there is a revival that can happen within the body of Christ, it will affect our culture, affect our language, affect our psyche as a people in Nigeria. Go to the National Assembly. You have Dickens there. You have Geos there. In this present National Assembly, there are some Geos. When they shed stolen money, they took their own. Eh? You know that video where Akpabio he said prayers were going to hit their account. An angel of the Lord just went and struck him. The truth came out from his mouth. He now turned it to prayer. Not one of them in that house stood up to say, I will not take. You know you don't think about those things. Eh? Not one stood up to say, I will not take. This is not, this is not what we came to do here. They took. That is the one you know. What about the ones they are taking that you do not know? Go there now. Look at all their forms. Some are, the form it is written there boldly. They even use black Bible and wrote it in capital. Religion. Christian. Some will not even put in, tongue, in bracket tongue talking. The problem is a matter of sanctification. A matter of sanctification. We are obsessed by the things that the world is obsessed with. And the Lord says, when I find a man that understands me. Oh, bro, this is like the heart of a lover speaking. Those of us that have married, some of the toughest arguments you will have with your spouse is like, you don't understand me. Oh, where are the married people? Uh, you see, you see. Is it there? Because understanding is a love language. It's a love. It goes deeper than just knowing. You don't understand. Sometimes it's like a cry from the belly of your spouse. You don't understand me. That's why God says, when I find a man, he does not just know me. He understands me. He said, in these, I delight. Dear brother, you know what that means? There are many people who are in church. God does not delight. Hmm? And they are paying tight consistently. We believe in tithing. It's a kingdom practice. Eh? But you see, it's not on this list. In these, I delight. So because God had some urgent matters he needed to communicate, we see for the first time that Jesus decided to follow the same pattern that Paul followed and decided to write letters to the churches. You know every time Paul wrote a letter to a church, he was writing because they either sent him questions or he noticed that things were going wrong. So he wrote letters. Jesus needed to write letters. And one of those letters he wrote, one that struck my heart, he said, if you do not repent... I will come and take away your lampstand. Hi. You know, I've been reading that thing throughout this week. Every time I go to this scripture, since the Lord put this teaching in my heart, I read it. So it means that they are therefore, that there are certain places that still look like a church.
but the alarm stand has been taken. The, the consequence of that is they are still in the territory, but they don't have influence. They don't have any impact on the land. They are still gathering, and they might be gathering numbers, or they might be gathering small, but they don't have a lab stand. They don't have the authority to influence their territory. Let me show you another scripture before I go there. Give me Deuteronomy 10. I said there are two scriptures I like. The Holy Spirit just reminded me. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. Hmm. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? You see, God was the one coming to ask them now. Don't make a mistake about it. I didn't bring you out of Egypt because I don't have work to do. What does the Lord your God require from you? Now listen. To fear the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways. To love him. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Verse 13. And to keep the commandments of the Lord. And his statutes which I command you today for your good. He said this is what the Lord demands from you. Fear him. Love him. Walk in his ways. Obey his commandments. That's the summary. That's what God is looking for. His priority is not your comfort. He wants you to love him. Serve him. Walk in his ways. Obey him. Obedience is one of the love languages of heaven. They that love me will keep my commandments. Go to the next verse, 14. We're going to 18. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God. Also, the earth with all that is in it. 15. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. And he chose their descendants after them. You above all peoples as it is this day. 16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Jesus. 17. For the Lord your God is God of, all, of, of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. When it comes to this matter, uh, God is not partial to men. If you draw nigh unto him, he will draw nigh. Like my father in the Lord will say, God does not have favorites. God only has intimates. He does not show partiality. Last verse, 18. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and glory. God takes care of his own. So if we understand that what the Lord is asking of you, serve him, love him, keep his commandments, then it is imperative that the church begins to emphasize the kind of things that will allow God to reap the kind of harvest that he's seeking. When a church begins to deviate, we will now begin to raise Christians that cannot affect posterity and have no value in eternity. You know, dear brothers and sisters, like I was telling them when I ministered yesterday, you know death is not the end, though. Huh. 
Are you aware that death is not the end? When you die, it has not ended. It has only just begun. When you die, death is just a portal to a new beginning. That's what death is. So when you die, how you live has already guaranteed your next experience in eternity. How you lived. And you know Christianity, Christianity does not only teach how to live, it also teaches how to die. Because when you die, it's not as important as how you die. Hmm? When death meets you, it's not as important as how he meets you. If he meets you outside Christ, you are finished. If death meets you with a badge of compromise, you are finished. Because once a person is in the grave, eh, there's nothing you can do to change your eternal destiny. The Bible says that the rich man died and was buried and Lazarus died and he was carried to the bosom of Abraham. And immediately they died, the rich man realized that there was nothing he could do about his own destiny. He began to beg. Say, send Lazarus. Send an angel. Just send somebody to my brothers. Because he knew that he no longer had chance. But his brothers who were still in the earth had the opportunity to change. First question I asked you is can you die for what you believe in? The second thing I want to ask you tonight is what are you living for? Why are you alive? Why does God owe you oxygen? What value are you adding to the kingdom on a daily basis? You cried for a job, God gave you. Now that you have the job, how has the kingdom profited from your blessing? You cried for husband, God gave you. How has the kingdom profited from your marriage? You cried for admission, God gave you. Very painful. You entered into the school now. In the school, the admission that God gave you, that's when you realize that you cannot be single. That you need a boy to be stroking your nose every morning. That is. You need someone to be whispering to you that you are fine. And he stand in front of the mirror and be saying, I find no. I find. The admission that God gave you is the same opportunity you have used to, to sell your virtue to Satan. That now when God looks at you, he can't recognize you anymore. You were not the person that he betted. You are looking like a strange fellow. All the things that you cried for, God has given you. To what advantage has the kingdom benefited? What advantage? I'm asking you, dear brother, dear sister. You see, most of the time when I come to teach, I'm bringing my private conversations with God to you. Hmm? What are you living for? Imagine now that God gives you the fulfillment of your greatest dreams. As you are seated here now, your greatest dreams, God comes with a blank check and he gives you your greatest dreams. What will you look like? 
Eh? What will you look like? That thing, that thing you are craving for in your heart now, if it were ever to become yours, will God be glorified with your life? What are you living for? When you get your perspectives right, you will go to work differently. You will begin to see your office differently. You will now recognize that your bank, where you are a teller, is a mission field. You will now see that where you are doing vulcanizer, eh? if somebody comes to pump tire, you will be pumping tire with a body. So, God, why you squeeze your face? Say, you know Jesus. Does that make you squeeze your face? Are they fear saying you go go hello? You will be plating people's hair with a body, sewing people's clothes with a body. Teaching your students in class with a button. Once you get your perspectives right, when God blesses you and 200,000 hits your account, you're not saying, hey! The first thing you are thinking is, Lord, why? You will think I'm a foolish person now, but when you begin to live like that, you will never lack. Why are you sending this? And he says, send 10 to Angela. Send 15 to Nonso. Then do this with this one. Do this with this one. Your own inside is 10,000. But you know how the Christian lives? Money hits his account. He's thinking of new suit. Say, they don't, they laugh me. They don't, they laugh me. They don't, they laugh me. When money hits your account, what are you living for, really? When our children become our age, how will they remember us? What are we leaving for them behind? These are the questions I've been asking myself since last night. What is this generation of believers leaving for the generation coming behind? Beautiful cathedrals. Well done. The things we are riding on now are things our fathers left behind. Their testimonies are still powerful today. Those of you who read A.W. Tozer, you read Tozer's book today, your heart will be burning as if he just wrote it. One book that I read in one sitting, I could not drop it. One sitting, night into the next day, the root of the righteous. Kai. Kai. I read it, I cried. I read it, I cried. I knelt down and said, God, why is my life like this? The man that wrote it has died for more than 60 years. 60 years. What inheritance are we leaving behind? What are we leaving behind? The prayer we pray that will led us to pray. He says one seed. Because of one seed that chooses to serve the Lord. It will be like an entire generation. That's posterity. That because of you, God enters into a covenant with your family. Your family. Even to the 14th generation, one man. You see, for those of you who are taking notes, write it in your note and be able to answer that question before you die. 
what am I living for? Be able to answer that question. Let's go back to Revelations chapter 9. Let's, um, chapter 1. Go to verse 10 now. Verse 10. Oh, why is this song raging in my heart? Hit your note for me, man of God. Oh, Salabaliante. Oh, Rabo Kavila Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Holy Ghost. And if I give God my life, time, He will take Oh, He will never, never let me down. I will give God my life. And if I give God, if I give God my life, He will take care of me. He will take care of me. He will never, never, He will never, ever let me down. I will give God my life. You see, most of the time we are afraid that if we live like this, the way this man is saying it so, will my life not waste? We are afraid. If you give God your lifetime, He will take care of you. Take care of you. Write your story in gold that generations unborn will be thanking God that you lived. Have you not seen people that write books, even their family members don't buy? You have not seen somebody that did album, 16 tracks, mastered and mixed by solo, solo, solo. Eh? And even their family members don't buy. A man wrote a book 60 years ago. You pick it from the shelf today, it's fresh. <laughs> you see, that's how I want to be remembered. I don't care whether men don't celebrate me in this life. But when I'm gone, because certain great men, you will not know the value of their life until they die. You know, I used to tell you here, I said, posterity will judge me. You will know that I didn't lie. Some of you, these things I'm teaching will begin to make sense to you 10 years from now. And I'll say, ah, thank God. I listen to the things this man taught. Ten years from now, you now real, you now begin to see the things I'm saying. Hey, no wonder. You know, some people think now I'm a bad man. He's always seeing something that is wrong. It's because of where I'm standing in the spirit. I'm proximus to the Father's heart by the grace of God. And sometimes the weight He puts on my shoulder, I beg Him. Because the weight is so heavy, sometimes I think I would die. I beg him. I can't be normal. 
I can't be normal. Somebody said, why, 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 will you, why will you be talking about Christian entertainment? I'm wondering, what kind of entertainment does a Christian need? I'm wondering, wondering, why we are even talking that you need to be entertained? You don't have time to read your Bible. You have time for entertainment. Born again. Ten years. Never read the Bible cover to cover. But you have time for movies. And you don't think it's a problem. You think the preacher is bad. I'm trying to show you that we are sick. And thank God he's called the great physician. So it was on this occasion that the Lord had to summon a functionary. Had to draw him into the spirit. See, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Eleven. Saying, I am Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia Ephesus, Smyrna, Pegamos, Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. You know, all you need to do is go and check. These were not the only churches in Asia. Why did he choose these ones? There was a church in Colossae. There was a church in Philippi. There was a church in Corinthians. There was a church in Rome. He didn't write to them. Why these ones? It's because he wanted to communicate a specific message. It was not just for these seven churches. It was for the church of Jesus Christ. It was a message. He was using what was happening within those churches. He wanted to use what was happening within those churches to communicate the burden of his heart. To show us how a church can drift. But drifting is not a death sentence. He also showed us how a church that has drifted can find their way back. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands was one like the Son of Man. Do you know when I read this scripture, I started doing research. And I found out for the first time in my life. You know me, I'm learning too. I've never told you that I've arrived though. I'm a, I'm a Bible student. And I found out that of all the titles that Jesus had, the one he addressed himself with the most is Son of Man. Go and check. Son of Man. Jesus, anytime he addressed himself, he addressed himself with Son of Man. And in the entire New Testament, you will find that 80 times. 80 times. Why did he like to call himself the son of man? Because he was identifying with man. Because in identifying with man, he deals with the same problem. So that man, man, can now be restored to his relationship with God. You've heard it in our circles before. The son of God became the son of man so that sons of men can become what? Sons of God. That's what he was doing. So even in this revelation, John acknowledges 
the same title with which Jesus likes to address himself, he said, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and gathered about the chest with a golden band. 14. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. 15. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. 16. He had in his right hand several stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid! I am the first and the last. 18. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forever. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. 19. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So this revelation you are about to read from Revelation chapter 2 is not something that John himself conjured. He was just a writer. The one who was sending the letter was not John. John was just the instrument through which the letters were going to be communicated in a means that the church will be able to understand it. So give me Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. Oh, if I give God my life, <laughs> He will take care of me. He will never, ever let me down. Oh, I will give God my life. You see? That song, the way it's burning in my heart, I know it's a message for somebody's soul. Sing this song as you are going to walk. Be conscious of the fact that regardless of what is happening in, around your life, you are still important to Jesus. He's still, he's still looking out for you, watching over your life. What is happening in your life does not define who God is. That you are broke does not mean that God is weak. That there is pain in your body does not mean that God cannot heal the sick. Those things are temporary. At the appointed time, God will stretch forth his hand to you and bring about a mighty deliverance. Now let's look at the letters of Jesus. The first letter that Jesus instructed John to write, you remember that it is Jesus that is speaking and John is just writing, is to the angel of the church of Ephesus. The word angel there is the Greek, angelos. And it depends on which side of the divide you are. There are Bible scholars that say that that angel is a supernatural messenger of God. A divine being. Some people even say that that angel is the Holy Spirit. But if we look at it in the context of this write-up and the way we arrived at Revelation chapter 2 verse 1, I like to go with the third group. That this angel was the leader of the church. The pastor. The head of that church. A human being 
who was, who was like the point man of the church in Ephesus. The other thing I want you to see before we go further is that these churches were territorial in nature. So you had a church in Ephesus, a church in Smyrna, a church in Thyatira, a church in Philadelphia, a church in Saudisha, Laodicea, in Sardis. Every church was not named by a denomination. It was named by the territory. And this is intentional. Because a church is supposed to be territorial. If you have a church in a place, that church is supposed to be the one that pipes the government of God over that territory. That's what churches are for. Territorial. So the church in Philippi, the church in Colossae, the church in, in Corinthians, the church in Rome, it was territory based. This is why it is an aberration that you have denominations everywhere and their influence cannot be felt on the land. Something is wrong. Now it's so, it's so scary because there's no space anymore. So in one building, you can have eight denominations. One building. Then in the middle is a club where they are doing and people are naked in the middle. But all around it is a church. Churches, different denominations. That on Sunday morning, people are standing in front of their doors. Then when you are passing, they do you. They say, what are you doing? It's evangelism. No, it's marketing. Everybody is competing for members. Eight in one building. And you can have like six of those kind of buildings on one street. But when you enter into the street to the end, is the headquarter of people who smoke marijuana. And some of those churches have been there for years. How can there be a lampstand in a house and yet the house is in darkness? Are you thinking the way I'm thinking here? Look now. We can try an experiment now. You know that these lights, normal bulbs, you have what is called a lamp holder. Are we together? How can there be a lamp holder and there is a bulb beneath and the land and the room is in darkness? There are two things. Either there is just a lamp holder and no bulb or the bulb that is inside is dead. When a church is not influencing its territory, there is one, two, one or two problems. Either they are no longer raising light bearers. Lampstand is an infrastructure to hold lamps. So if you have the infrastructure and there are no lamps, the infrastructure will be useless. It cannot bring light. Because the lampstand itself cannot bring light. So if we have beautiful lampstands everywhere, 2025 state of architecture, and there are no lamps, territories will be in darkness. Or we have lamps that are in the lampstand, and yet they are dead. 
The Bible says it's possible to be bringing light and yet that light is darkness. It's in the Bible. So he had to write to the church in Ephesus. He says, this thing says he. I want you to notice a few things as we proceed because I may not be able to finish. If I can't finish, we'll continue next Sunday. If I can't finish. Hmm? Because I don't want to, in a bid that I want to get through all the letters, I now go and module things up and rush it. Hmm? I want you to notice certain things as we proceed. Everything that seems to be the failure of the church, hmm? the burden of the Lord will be manifest in the way Jesus introduces himself. So for instance, look at the way he introduces himself. This thing says he who holds the seven stars in his hand. Remember, who are the stars? Where we read, he says that they are what? Huh? The angels of the churches. Those are the stars, the leaders. Where is he holding them? In his hands. He that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks where? In the midst of the golden lampstands. What is Jesus speaking about here? Relationship and intimacy. If he's holding you in your hands, have you read in the prophets, he says, um, I have engraved you upon what? The palm of my hands. And your walls are constantly before my eyes. He's speaking about intimate relationships. So every angel of a church is supposed to be operating from the hand of God. It's a place of intimacy. And the center of attraction in every church is supposed to be Jesus, not the preacher. He who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He's talking about intimacy and relationship here. Next verse. Verse 2. I know your works. Your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them what? Second thing I want you to notice here. Every time Jesus approaches the churches in his letters, he says, I know you. Hmm. These are not things that they were going about announcing to everybody. But you see, Jesus was looking into every church and he knows the true condition of every lampstand. Say, I know you. I know your works, your labor. You are laboring well. You are laboring faithfully. Even those who are not apostles, you have tested them and you have found out that they are liars. Next verse. And you have preserved, pers persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and you have not become weary. I see the way you are laboring. You are not discouraged. You are not weary. You are not fainting. You are not broken-hearted. Next verse. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have what? Now, because they departed from their first love, he appeared as one desiring intimacy. Now if you look at this, many scholars are not able to agree because 
This scripture does not really say what the first love is. But majority of us have come to the conclusion that it is either one or a combination of three loves. One, your love for God. Two, your love for the brethren. Three, your love for the lost. You have abandoned your love for God. You no longer love the brethren. And you no longer love the lost. You have left your first love. Left to me. My priority in this discourse will be our love for God. Your first love. I need to ask you tonight. Hmm? Do you love God the way you loved him the first time you met him? The first time you got saved is your love for God as raging as it used to be. He now gives them a way to correct their drifting. He said, remember. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. And this is why if you don't have a track record with God, you are a disaster waiting to happen. If all your Christian life is characterized by second-hand experience. You are a Christian based on your pastor's experience. You are a Christian based on what you heard in church. You have nothing intimate with God. When you drift, what will you remember? There is nothing to remember. No reference. You can only remember the worship concert they did in 2021. Nothing, nothing intimate, nothing deep between you and God. He said, remember, therefore, from where you are falling. Do you know some people don't even know where they were before? They don't even know that they have fallen. Because they didn't, didn't even know where they were standing before. All they were doing was following pastor in church. They are Christians. They are Christians. But they are not pressing to know God. They don't have anything private with God. So they can't even know when they are falling. There is nothing to remember. There is no reference in the spirit. Me sometimes, when I'm going through tough situations, I will remember the things the Lord spoke to me. The secret things me and God share. You see, brethren... There is nothing as sweet as knowing God for yourself. Nothing. Nothing. You hear Paul say things like, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded. I know him. He said, remember from whence you have fallen. Bro, remember those nights when you could lie down on your back and do six hours. Remember. Young lady, remember. When you are leaving your house, you are telling God, I'm coming home with two souls. Two souls. You could not walk on the street without telling somebody about Jesus. Remember. From where you are falling. When you remember, the next thing you do is you what? Repent. And the proof of your repentance is in your actions. Repentance is not words. Repentance is actions. He said that where are the fruits? 
He said, bring forth therefore fruit of repentance. He said, if you've repented, do the first works. This thing scared me. He said, or else I will come and quickly remove your lampstand from his place until you repent. What of if we are sitting in buildings where their lampstands have been removed? They didn't have lamp inside the lampstand since so then they now take the lampstand. That is that is that is that is a terrible state. And once God takes away your lampstand, it's like Nepa. Eh? Not do illegal connection, no. Don't do illegal connection, no. Don't do illegal connection. You're not going to do it. They will now come and cut your line and do what? Take the wire. Eh? That matter, there's no begging again. You must go where? To the office. Some of you need to go back to the bedchamber tonight. The matter now is that certain places the lampstand has been taken. Huh. Let's go for that. Verse 6. But this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Go for that. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Oh, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Uh, brother, I want to eat from this tree. <laughs> Revelation, I think it's 21, 22, 23, 24. Read it when you get home. You will see the beautiful description when the new Jerusalem appears. All of us who make it into the new Jerusalem. One of the things you are going to enjoy, you will go boldly to the tree of life. And you will eat. That's when true immortality will begin for us. He said to him that overcomes. So it means therefore, if you do not overcome, you will not eat from the tree of life. Let's go to the next letter. The next letter. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, This thing says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works. This is the church I like to call the, the, the persecuted church. The first church is the loveless church. This is the persecuted church. I know your works, tribulation and poverty. Now this church was so poor. Even in their poverty, God described them. He put it in bracket. He said, but you are rich. You are poor in the physical, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Why was he saying that? There were people that were mocking them. Mocking them. And yet, in the middle of the mockery, they were willing to suffer persecution. He said, do not fear of any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. But be what? And I will give you what? The crown of life. 
be faithful unto death. These people were under intense persecution. I would think, bro, that when the Lord says, I know your poverty, he will now give them keys. 18 keys to break into covenant wealth. Eh? I know your poverty. So I will open for you the doors of breakthrough. So I'm sending you angels of prosperity. He said, do not fear those things you are about to suffer. What kind of God is this? He left the poverty matter and began to speak about faithfulness. He said, be faithful unto death. Because you look poor in the natural, but you are rich. That's what Jesus said, to, said about that man who said to himself, my ground has produced bountifully. I will tear down my barns and I will build them again. And then I will fill my storehouse. And the Lord came to him and said, thou fool, tonight your soul will be demanded of you. And whose shall these things be that you have stored? Whose? Go further. Eleven. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by what? I told you what the second death is. The first death is physical death. The second death is eternal separation from God. Where men will be cast into the lake of fire. Second death. So what this means is that he who does not overcome will suffer what? Next church. I think that's where I will end. We we'll continue next week. And to the angel of the church in Pegamos write, This thing says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Remember, for the persecuted church, how did he introduce himself? I am the first and the last. The beginning and the end. You know what he was saying? I'm in the present and I'm in the future. You are suffering persecution now, but there is joy for you in eternity. Are you here? Go back. Verse 12. Verse 12. He says, I have the sharp two-edged sword. 13. I know your locks. And you dwell where Satan's throne is. And you will fast to my name. And did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful Matthias who was killed amongst you where Satan dwells. We don't know his son name but God had a record of him. Antipas. How did God describe him? He said my faithful Matthias. This word that is translated Matthias is the word that means witness. My faithful witness. How did he witness about the testimony of Jesus? With his own life. He was killed where Satan dwells. Look at verse 14. But I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. 
to eating sacrifice to idols and to do what? So what was his, his, his anger with this church in this letter? He was dealing with idolatry and immorality. What is the doctrine of Balaam? The doctrine of Balaam teaches that godliness is gain. That godliness is gain. That you can use your godliness to satisfy your carnal appetites. That your godliness is an that godliness is gain so you make an idol out of yourself and your needs and you live to satisfy your personal needs and every time you find idolatry you will find sexual immorality they go hand in hand right now in the body of Christ sexual immorality is like a god amongst young people now sexual immorality is like is like a plague is affecting us now. People can't stay pure anymore. So pleasure has become God. Sexual pleasure. Masturbation has been so elevated now that you will think that it's the most potent demon available. Young men can say they love God but they cannot stop masturbating. Pornography is growing in leaps and bounds. People cannot take their hands off the opposite sex. Immorality. You see, dear brother, dear sister, if you are living in this generation now and sexual immorality has made you a slave, you have greatly disqualified yourself from the revival. The army that is marching for the Lord now is a Puritan army. A Puritan army. So if you've already corrupted yourself, quickly get back on track. Quickly desire that you not allow yourself to be a slave of sexual immorality. Quickly. Break the hold of that immorality from your life as quickly as possible. As quickly. Nothing weakens the potency of a man's call and destiny like sexual sin. Nothing. Idolatry and sexual immorality. Verse 15. Thus, you also have, have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. You remember the church in Ephesus? The church in Ephesus, they did not follow the conduct of the Nicolaitans. So there was conduct of the Nicolaitans and there was what? Doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Because your living will always be the product of your doctrine. Your conduct is always the product of your creed. Your behavior is always the product of your belief system. And this is why Satan is deliberate. Raising people in the pulpit who are trying to teach another gospel because once you teach another gospel you will get people to behave like antichrists they will not be able to become like christ in character and in behavior because what they have been taught does not have capacity to forge christ in their hearts 
Do I know what the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is? No. Nobody says, tells us in the Bible. So I don't know. But definitely, it was something that the Lord hated. It was something that he hated. Anybody who tells you that they know what the doctrine of the Nicolaitans are, or was, is just speculating. Doesn't know. He's just assuming. But it was something that he hated. 16. Repent. Or else I will come to you quickly and I will fight against them with what? How did he introduce himself? The one with a two-edged sword. Where? In his mouth. And when the Lord says I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth, do you remember what the symbol of the sword is? The word of God. So when the Lord is saying this, he's saying that I will raise prophets after my own heart who will begin to speak the judgments of God. They will begin to speak the judgments of God upon a generation. They will begin to speak the decrees of the wrath, the anger of God upon a generation. He will come against them with the sword of his mouth. It's because of people like this that God raised men like Jeremiah. Who were weeping and saying, you are going into captivity. But the people ignored him. But the sword from the mouth of the Lord came to pass whether they believed it or not. You see, with these three churches I want to end tonight. And I want to communicate to us that we are in desperate times as the body of Christ. Just like it was in the Corinthian church. The kind of immorality that is named in Christian circles now. Even unbelievers do not engage in such. Now purity is such hard work. Such hard work. Young people can't be pure. He said I will come quickly. I will fight against them. With the sword of my mouth. Idolatry has taken a stool in the church. Men have been elevated ab above God. Do anything to make yourself happy. Who told you you need to hear God before you marry? If you like the lady, please come on, go ahead. Marry her. They now tell you five stories of people that you work for. You will not know the 99,000 that are suffering. You will not know the ones that it was like. They used to enter. And then Satan said, I don't finish them. If it makes you happy, do it. Do what makes you happy. Do you. Enjoy your life. Not be making Jesus. Who kill him? You didn't read your Bible that he died for you. He was hung on a tree for you. You are among those that killed him. His blood is on your hands. Enjoy your life. That's how you have made an idol out of something that should be under your feet. And now you are a slave. He says, I will come quickly. <laughs> and I will remove the lampstand. 
I will remove the lampstand. You know the consequence of that? Certain territories will be lost. They will be in darkness. That's why next year, part of our assignment is that we are going for a lot of outreaches next year. We are going to villages. We want to go and shine the light of Jesus. We can't leave men in darkness. The church is not supposed to shine the light within its buildings. The light is for territories. It's for territories. Tonight, I want us to pray for the church of God in Delta State and in Worry. That the Lord will show us mercy. Where you are, stand on your feet. And pray for the church of Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, show us mercy. Show us mercy. Pray for the church of Jesus Christ. Not only in Delta State, in Nigeria. In the nations of the world. Say, Lord, show us mercy. Show us mercy. Show us mercy. May our hearts be turned again to the Lord. May he look upon us in mercy. I wish you would pray. May lampstands begin to produce lamps again. May candlesticks begin to produce candles again. Light bearers that can give light to the house. We are focused on raising millionaires. We are focused on raising businessmen. We have not raised men that can bear light. Many of these people have gone into business and they have not shown the light of God. Open your mouth and pray. We are behind time already. When we are done praying for the church, you will pray for your own life. How can we have so many denominations and our nation is still like this? Something is wrong. we be called a Christian nation and our nation is still like this brethren something is wrong can you ask the Lord show us mercy don't take away our lampstand we repent we repent Jesus Ola mare kedia Lebinane telie Rabonane kedia nanayo Ola Ale kario nanie Somebody pray. Somebody pray. We want your mercy, Jesus. We want your mercy, Jesus. 
Yeah. 